Good morning again. As Brad said, uh, I'm not the typical individual that um, speaks every Sunday morning. Walter is currently hunting. Uh, I'll give him a little bit of a hard time since he is not here because Kathy told me that he told her uh, he may be getting a little too old uh, for these types of experiences. And I would probably tell him if he were here, that's true. And it's good that he recognizes that. Uh, but I again want to extend a very special welcome to each of you. And again remind you, please, please stay around for the potluck immediately following service. Pray with me before we get started. Father, we come into your presence. And we come into your presence with the deepest amount of humility and with the deepest amount of gratitude for who you are and, Father, for your activity in our lives and your activity in this world. Father, thank you that you haven't taken a hands-off approach to us, to this world, to the decisions that we make, to the circumstances that we endure Father, we thank you that you care, and Father, we thank you that your care is constantly expressed day by day in your action. Father, this morning, uh, we thank you for your design, for your body. Lord, we thank you that we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we open up your word this morning and spend some time considering things that you have to say to us and speak over us. Father, we pray that our minds would be open. We pray that our hearts would be tender. Father, we know that the Spirit's going to provide conviction, and so we pray that we would be willing to embrace that conviction and live that conviction out as well. And Father, we ask that you would receive all the honor and glory for that. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The dates of October 2nd, 1936, and October 13th, 1957, may not be significant to you, but they are extremely important to me, because these are the dates that my dad, Audrey Jean Favors, and my mom, Susan Marie Holtz, entered the world. Over the last 38 years of my life, my mom and dad have given me many gifts, Some that I've wanted, some that I haven't wanted but needed, and some that have been complete surprises. The most important gift that my dad has ever given to me is introducing me to God and to his church. My dad was the one who studied with me before I became a Christian, and he continues to check in on me every Sunday with a phone call to see how my relationship with God is going. My dad was the first person who I witnessed living as a Christian. The most important gift my mom has ever given to me is her willingness to always have conversations about life, even when they're difficult conversations, and in particular conversations about God. This is interesting because she's not a Christian herself. Both of my parents in very different ways, with very different beliefs, coming from very different backgrounds, have taught me, have encouraged me, and have supported me to pursue God's dream for my life. 
But here's where, it's get, here's where it gets really interesting. Because what exactly is God's dream for us as human beings? I think about this question a lot. Is his dream for us to be happy? Is it his dream for us to be safe, secure, and comfortable? Is it his dream for us to get married, have kids, and live in a nice home, and work a job that is more about making money to live rather than having a platform to share Jesus Christ? Is it his dream for us to routinely go through days, many of which can be stress-filled, just to exist and get things done? Is it his dream for us to be more concerned about building our kingdoms rather than participating and building his? Or have we in the Lord's Church here in the United States confused elements of the American dream with God's dream? Have we in the Lord's Church sacrificed God's dream so that we can have parts of the American dream? Have we as Christian Americans living in 2016 sought to Americanize God so that we can justify the lives that we are living. As we unpack our text this morning, 1 Samuel 16, 1-13, make no mistake about it that it would be easy to sit here and beat ourselves up for the ways in which we have attempted, I believe, to Americanize God. But rather than doing that, I would like us to consider how we more effectively capture and embrace the dreams that God has for us so that we can have a better recognition that nothing is going to compare to God's dream for us as individuals and for us as a body of Christ. As we move through the text this morning, consider how you would respond to the following questions. Number one, do we define success as God defines success? Number two, do we move when God speaks? Number three, do we value what God values? And number four, do we see as God sees? Please read with me verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Before we get any deeper into the text, it's important to realize that although God did select Saul as a king of Israel, it was the people of Israel who clamored for a king, according to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And God allowed them to make their own decisions, just like he allows us to make our own decisions every single day, good or bad. According to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, the Israelites wanted a king so that they could look like everyone else, so that they could have a physical human king to judge them like all the other nations around them. This was their definition of success, even in light of God openly and honestly telling them all that the king was going to do. You see, God had a much different definition of success than the Israelites. 
And I believe even today God has much different definitions of success than you and I do. So while how you and I define success does matter, it doesn't matter nearly as much as how God defines success. And if you ask why, to me the answer is relatively simple and straightforward. And it is because we didn't create ourselves and we didn't create the world around us. What messages do we send our spouses, ourselves, our children, our family members, our co-workers, and those who don't know the Lord about what success in God's eyes really means and looks like? One of my friends posted on Facebook the other day what you see on the next slide. We need to care less about whether our children are academically gifted and more about whether they sit with the lonely kid in the cafeteria. It may not seem like much. It may seem insignificant. But success in God's eyes has everything to do with his will being done on this earth. And nothing to do with you and I being exalted. Or our desires, which oftentimes can be selfish, being fulfilled. Back to 1 Samuel 16, where we find Samuel grieving over Saul. Read verses 2 through 5 with me. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet and trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel is no dummy. He recognized that Saul has become a loose cannon. And that what God is asking him to do puts him at risk. And at risk of losing his physical life. Our God is a God who is constantly on the move. And God's movements frequently contradict our movements towards security, towards comfort, and towards convenience. Don't get me wrong. God doesn't call us to be stupid people. And yet, he does call us to be men and women that are absolutely sold out for his causes and his kingdom. Francis Chan, a Christian author and speaker who's been married for over 20 years and who has seven children, said the following in discussing his belief that many Christians who are married with families have their marriages and their families as idols. He says, your mission with the Lord doesn't end when you start dating, get married, or even have kids. For some reason, when these things happen, it's not about going out in the harvest and being a worker anymore. It's about, let's protect our family now. Let's keep us safe. Let's find a gated community and keep them all in our house away from all the bad people. There's no excuse for that. That's why so many of the kids, when they turn 18, seem to ditch God altogether. 
because they didn't see anything real in our lives. They didn't see that sense of adventure, and we didn't put ourselves in positions where God had to come through so that when our families see God coming through, they say, wow, that was amazing. I am never going to leave that God. Instead, we just create a little bubble for ourselves. How is God going to operate in that? Not only are we missing out on life, but we are turning away our children in droves because our lives are not the adventure that they see in Scripture, and they are not experiencing the Holy Spirit. They are experiencing a Christian version of the American dream that's watered down, and we're just making excuses for idolizing our families rather than really putting Christ and his mission first. As a husband and a caregiver for a 14-year-old, his words are difficult and challenging for me to hear. But I also desire to have an open heart to consider what legacy am I giving to my family so that they, in turn, can give that legacy to others around them. The interesting thing about Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 is that He initially values his physical life, and yet he ends up doing exactly what God wants him to do, still understanding that his physical life was on the line. Samuel's willingness to recognize what he valued conflicted with what God valued, and his willingness to follow God anyways should cause us to ask the following question. Do we just involve God in our decisions? Or do we express gratitude to God for involving us in his story, realizing that he allows us to make our own decisions for or against him? Samuel's actions up to this point and his actions that follow challenge us not to make any assumptions with God. Because oftentimes when we make assumptions with God, we're wrong. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 lets us know why this is true. God doesn't think like we think. God does not operate like we operate. And God has not consulted you and me to see if we approve of what he thinks and to see if we approve of the way that he functions. Continue to read with me in 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. 
and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Samuel thought he knew. Jesse thought he knew. They both just knew that God wasn't looking for David, except that he was. Samuel and Jesse had different vision and sight than God had. Up on the screen, you see the question, what do you do when your sight or vision is bad? But after taking some time to think about that, I think I have phrased that question incorrectly. Because I think these are things that we should always be doing, regardless of where we are at in our walks with God. And we should be doing these things so that we can have the vision and sight that God gives to us. Number one, let's be people who trust God more, even when we don't understand, and even when we don't like what God is doing. Number two, let's be people who move more. Samuel thought Eliab was the one, but notice when the Lord spoke, he moved. Number three, let's be people who get out of the way more. Interestingly enough, Samuel tells Jesse at the end of verse 11 that they will not sit down until David arrives. What Samuel said was an acknowledgement that both he nor anyone else was going to get in the way of what God was doing. What did John the Baptist say in John chapter 3 verse 30 when he spoke about himself in relationship to Jesus? He said, he must become greater, I must become less. Finally, let us be people who complain less or better yet, Not at all. David Platt says the following. If we form Jesus to look like us and be who we want him to be, even when we gather together and sing our praises and lift our hands, the reality is we are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, but we are worshiping and singing to ourselves. We have a master who demands radical obedience to a mission that warrants radical urgency, and we do not have time to waste our lives living out a Christian spin on the American dream. The most glorious reason that you and I exist is for the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth, so that it's about more than having a nice life. It's about giving our lives, our families, our jobs, for the proclamation For the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. And so, at the beginning, I said this isn't, these things aren't to consider to beat ourselves up. These things are intended to consider the dream that God has cast for each one of us as human beings. In a minute, we're going to pray together. But before we do that, let me say if you need the prayers of this church, this church is a praying church. 
If you need the encouragement of this church, this church is an encouraging church. So after we pray, we're going to stand and sing a song together. If you would like, you can certainly come down. If you'd like to do something more private, some of our shepherds will be in rooms uh, 104 to pray with you. But regardless of your need or where you're at, where we are at on our spiritual journeys, let us remember that God has cast an incredible vision for us as human beings. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so very much for doing what you didn't have to do, for creating us, Father, for creating us in your image, with purpose, with significance, with hope. Father, help us to better recognize that you've given us absolutely every single thing that we need to be who you have created us to be. You have cast an incredible vision and dream for us as individuals and for us as a community of faith. Help us to grab hold of that. We are forgetful people, and we acknowledge that. So, Father, you've given, a ton, given us a ton of reminders, and we pray that when we talk to each other, we would encourage each other with those reminders. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that is in it. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing. Savior, like a shepherd,